Welcome in everyone to the Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. I am Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, joined as always by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com, the radio host of Southern Fried Sports right here in Tuscaloosa at 100.9. Our Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide, you can get links to all of our pod drops right there. And a lot to get into on this edition of Talking Tide. I want to thank our sponsors really quickly. Heat, Heat Pizza Bar, North River Dental Associates, and Southern Ale House. More on them a little bit later, though. We preview Alabama and Ohio State, of course, to kick things off. And what is uh, the final midweek football episode of Talking Tide for the uh, 2020 college football season? Alabama comes into this game against Ohio State unbeaten, of course. Uh, Ohio State uh, unbeaten as well, albeit quite a few fewer games. ESPN will be your network. 7 p.m. Central Time on Monday will be will be your kickoff. Alabama 12 and 0, Ohio State 7 and 0. And Travis, we touched on Ohio State Clemson a little bit last week. Uh, on the Talking Tide podcast, probably not the opponent most Alabama fans were expecting to run into, but nonetheless, uh, the Buckeyes pretty much blew Clemson off the field, and here they are uh, against an undefeated Alabama team. Uh, shades of, I guess, the first year of the CFP, right, when Alabama took on Ohio State last. Yeah, even the point spread is similar to that 2015 matchup, I guess it was, in the college football playoff that put an uh, exclamation point that year on the 2014 season. But, uh, yeah, I mean, point spread, total for the game. I think the total is somewhere in the neighborhood of 76 and a half. You had 77 points scored in that game uh, back in, in, in the 2015 playoffs. So hard not to get caught up into some similarities, especially with Trey Sermon doing his best Zeke Elliott impersonation in that Ohio State run game down the stretch, but we'll see how it plays out. A lot of people expecting a lot of points, uh, and it's understandable given the way these two offenses, especially Alabama's, has performed consistently throughout the season. And the last glimpse we got of Justin Fields and that passing game, and again, Trey Sermon doing his thing on the ground. Yeah, it looked like a completely different Ohio State offense from what we saw in the Big Ten title game against Northwestern, and frankly, for a lot of the season, which of course was severely shortened for the Buckeyes. They only played five regular season games, uh, but look, they you knock off Clemson and the manner and fashion that they did, then you deserve to be right where you're at, Travis. I, I, to me, what they did to Clemson goes a long way toward validating their presence for anybody who felt like five, six games wasn't enough to even be there. Yeah, they graduated from just the argument of, well, we know they're talented enough, but what have they really put on tape? What have they really put on paper in a condensed season? Well, they answered that in four quarters of football, no doubt about it, against a really good Clemson team and a Clemson team that hit this Ohio State team right in the mouth to start that game. It was a 14-7 to game. Clemson is leading. You're thinking, wow. This is going to be Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Amari Rodgers. This offense is going to roll. Uh, but you saw Ohio State answer the bell and go on to really dominate that game uh, from that point forward. And absolutely, I don't think there's any questioning 
Ohio State's presence on Monday night at this point. Start talking about the Alabama offense against the Ohio State defense, Travis, matchup-wise. And I think one of the first things you got to look at is Alabama, just like with Notre Dame, Alabama's explosiveness on the perimeter at the wide receiver position against the Ohio State corners. Sean Wade had a rough game against Clemson, rough. Uh, and yeah, you know, he, he's a guy, he's an NFL draft prospect. He's, he's, uh, an outstanding athlete from our neck of the woods, Trinity Christian Travis down on the West side of Jacksonville. Uh, but he needs a bounce back game in this one for sure. And not to just pick on him. I think the entire Ohio state secondary is really going to have its hands full, particularly if a healthy Jalen Waddle manages to get back on the field as we record the podcast now, uh, that remains up in the air, but seemingly at least a possibility. Yeah, it is. And if you're Alabama, you don't mind at a minimum Ohio State having to prepare as if Jalen Waddle in some form or fashion will give it a go at Hard Rock Stadium. But you're right. The back end of this Ohio State defense now, you know, that front seven, they get after the quarterback pretty good. I thought they did do a nice job against Clemson of consistently harassing Trevor Lawrence when it became more of a game where you got his legs out of it because Clemson got down to the point where it became pretty predictable. He was going to have to bring them back from the pocket. And when that happened, uh, Ohio State had the benefit of being able to tee off a little bit more uh, against Trevor Lawrence. But you're right about Sean Wade. Seems to be a bit of a tweener, not necessarily uh, a safety, not necessarily a corner, maybe at the next level, more of a star type defender. That seems to be where he excels the most. But, you know, this is an Ohio State defense similar to Notre Dame and watching it a little bit closer here in the last few days in that game against Clemson. They, too, want to stay in base personnel for as much as they possibly can on early downs Monday night. Even when Alabama's in its three wide receiver sets, you'll see Ohio State stick with its 4-3. Um, now, if Waddle plays and he's really what we saw before the injury, I don't know how you do that if you're Ohio State because then you're talking about Jalen Waddle with Devontae Smith and John Mechie in that 11 personnel. And if that happens, then Ohio State comes with a true freshman at the start position in Lathan Ransom. So, Obviously, some matchups on the back end between Wade, a true freshman at the slot corner. Uh, Seven Banks has been the best of those three this year at the one corner. Um, th those are some matchups, certainly, you you'd like to exploit if you're Alabama. Yeah, no doubt about it. Waddle's return, probably something no one even fathomed at the time of his injury to start the game against the University of Tennessee on the opening kickoff. Uh, pretty gruesome-looking injury, and, and here he is uh, apparently on – at least on the brink of return. Sometimes you wonder, though, Travis, if, if the guy maybe could still be in a cast and you'd be hearing, oh, he might go, he might go. Just from <laughs> exactly. From standpoint, you know. Oh, no doubt. spend a few hours on the guy. Absolutely. And even if all Jalen Waddle can do is jump in the slot and run go routes six or seven times, that's going to create space for other guys in that offense. But, you know, I'm expecting that continued mix regardless, Chase. The two tight ends were very effective. Uh, that 12 personnel grouping against Notre Dame with Jalil Billingsley and Miller Forrest all in there together. They give them so much flexibility schematically because you can still spread the field. And I think that's going to be the common theme 
in this game for the Alabama offense, whether it's with two tight ends on the field, three wide receivers, you're going to see Alabama look to get this game more out on the perimeter, whereas Ohio State on both sides of the ball is going to want to play it more between the numbers, I think. Yeah, you make a, a great point about Waddle too, and, and when you mentioned that maybe maybe ver- just verticals is the way to go with him because with it with an injury to the ankle, the foot, the knee, anything lower half really in and out the, of breaks. The, yeah, the yeah. straight the straight vertical fly route. Well, you get that back sometimes long before you feel good about cutting and changing directions. And so yeah, um, if if, if Jalen Waddle's in a in a position where you know, may, maybe he's not 100% or, or at least maybe he's physically 100%, but not 100% confident coming out of breaks and, and uh, changing direction and so forth. But he's good good to go is just a straight sprinter. Then, yeah, uh, you stretch the field with that guy all day long. And create all that space underneath and, uh, you know, things that you can do in the flats then with Najee Harris and your tight ends. And you know, you're already able to do a lot of that just off of, play action to Najee and also the involvement obviously of Devontae Smith but when you put Waddle in that sort of formula too that's when you start to see other guys like Jalil Billingsley like Miller Forstall like John Mechie that's when they start to hit the chunk plays as well here's what I'll tell you about the the Alabama deep game Travis and what it's been this year and I've actually kind of been on the lookout for this statistic. I knew I'd see it sooner or later throughout the season. These analytics guys can't help themselves um, with uh, some of these stats that, that get put out. But I saw it the other day, Mac Jones for the season on throws of 20 plus air yards, which fortunately for me, Travis, is one of those analytical phrases that's self-explanatory. Um <laughs> He's 57% completion rate on balls that are t- that are 20 yards past the line of scrimmage in the air. I mean, that's insane. It is, and they create a lot of great opportunities where Steve Sarkeesian draws it up. You know, they have these switch concepts on routes. They'll go with kind of stacked or twins to one side of the formation, and, you know, they get those guys sort of uh, working on top of each other, and then they'll switch routes Uh, off their releases and defensive backs that little bit of hesitation in trying to figure out exactly who I've got and where they're going that's all these guys need and then they'll max protect and these guys are so good on the outside that they'll just hit you with double moves and there's so much you have to respect within this offense and again it starts with still Najee Harris you know we can talk about the receivers we can talk about Mac But week in and week out, you watch the influence of Najee Harris on safeties and linebackers and ball fakes. And not only that, Mac Jones is exceptional when it comes to ball faking. I watch quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, more talented guys than Mac Jones. But in terms of ball faking and some of those things, the finer points of quarterback play, Mac Jones is better than anybody out there. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's been absolutely phenomenal. And, and, you know, I, I do think this Ohio state defense is going to have a real problem on its hands. I expect Alabama to bring up a lot of points like they have all year, but we've the, the but the caveat to that Travis, as we flip it around and look at the Ohio state offense against the Alabama defense to me 
is that this Ohio State offensive line is pretty nasty, especially on the interior, Wyatt Davis in particular. Um, talk about some pretty serious road graders in there. And I think it's the best. I think it's a better offensive line than, than any Alabama's defense has seen on the season. And I think one of the most important things to note for this game about this OSU offensive line, Travis, is that they can give Justin Fields the support of 150-plus rushing yards. They can give Justin Fields the support of staying in front of the sticks on first down with a running game. They're, you know, this, this Alabama defense is good, and, and it's certainly improved, but it's not impregnable, run or pass. And I, I feel like one of Alabama's big, biggest concerns got to be up front to start the game is, is getting Trey Sermon shut down as quick as yeah. possible. Yeah, guard to guard, you know, you're talking about an Ohio State offense that also has a Remington Trophy finalist for Thursday night. You got the college football award show set for Thursday night. Not only Landon Dickerson in that trio, but Josh Myers of Ohio State. So definitely a challenge up front for this Alabama front seven. Could not agree more about the importance of taking care of business with the expectation of that being more so on early downs with Trey Sermon. That means DJ Dale. That means depending on formation because Ohio State offensively, like Alabama, they'll give you some three wide receivers, but they'll give you a lot, a lot of two tight end sets. They killed Clemson with 12 personnel in the Sugar Bowl. So I think the three touchdown passes to two of the tight ends, not just in the run game, but throwing it as well. So multiple challenges there. But again, at the end of the day, I still think, just like we talked about with the Alabama offense, uh, being more perimeter-based in all likelihood. I think Ohio State very much wants this game between the hash marks as much as possible. And that's why Justin Fields' availability in terms of his legs is, is so big in this because with all the zone read that they run and the ability for him to keep the football and stress your defense with that additional gap and then also throw off of that, now, that takes the challenge to an even higher level. So that's what I'll be watching early in the game. What is Justin Fields capable of doing with his legs? Can he complement Trey Sermon? Can they work in tandem to kind of open things up? Because if he can, I think that's probably going to be the difference between Ohio State rushing for somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 175 yards and having the potential to go over 200, which is what they've done in each and every game this season. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, they're going to have those Justin Fields ribs taped up and protected and padded up. He's going to look like the Michelin man out there <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to those uh, ribs. Cause you're right. I mean, aside from Sermon Fields is a big part of that running game. Uh, you know, that with the, not just keepers to the outside, but the scrambles, the design Stem plays. Draw. Yeah. yeah. He, he can, he, he can do. He's so not, he's regard. not Lamar Jackson. He's not Johnny Manziel. He's a big dude. Right. But you have to account for him and you have to account for his legs when he's right. And that's why it's so important. Style wise. Yeah, you're right. Style wise, closer to Cam Newton, although not quite as big as Newton. No, no. I mean, Cam is crazy, crazy big. I think I think Fields somewhere in the neighborhood of 6'3", 230. So not yeah. a small guy by any means, but, um, you know, not 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 one of these guys that's going to 
prove maddening in your pursuit of him, like Lamar Jackson or a or a uh, Johnny Manziel. You, I mean, you're going to have to bring it. You know, he's not going to be afraid to take on some safeties and corners. You know, kind of like a Tim Tebow. Short of the stick. No, no, and, and if he does, I think that's going to be an indicator of maybe where those ribs are. No doubt about it. Uh, Alabama and Ohio State again getting together Monday night, 7 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. Travis, we don't do a lot of predictions here, but it's the national championship game, right? So uh, got to do it. Uh, who do you like and, and by how much? And, and uh, how, how do you see the flow of this game going? Yeah, I think it's a game in which the winner's going to probably be somewhere in the high 30s. I think both teams get into the 30s in this game. I don't think. It goes over the 76 and a half, but probably not all that far off. Probably a total somewhere 65 to 69 is what I'm expecting. I think Alabama is going to win the game, but I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a touchdown or less type situation. I think it's going to require each and every uh, one of the four quarters. And, um, you know, I, I, I just I'll be interested to see. Because both teams pride themselves on being able to impose their will, especially as games move on. And with as good as Sermon's been on the ground, especially in these last three games with over 600 rushing yards, you know, the backs. We're not going to talk about the backs a lot going into this game. But then at the end of the night, I think if you look at scrimmage yards, respectively, for Najee Harris and Trey Sermon, they'll probably go a long way in telling you exactly who won the football game. Who do you like, Chase? I like Alabama 41-27, Travis. Like I said, I do expect Alabama to, to ring up a bunch of points like they've, like they've done on everybody. Uh, but I also expect Ohio State, with some balance between run and pass, to be able to trade punches with Alabama for, for more than a half. Um, I do think that uh, we're going to see Alabama force a couple more punts than, than Ohio State will. And if the turnover battle's even, then that's that could easily end up being the difference. I like it 41-27 Alabama. So something else we don't know that w- to account for either. We talked about Waddle from the Alabama perspective is the COVID situation with Ohio State and reports on Thursday that you know this is a team in terms of protocols and uh, the threshold for a minimum amount of scholarship players based on Big Ten protocols because. Conference protocols are still adhered to, even in the playoff. Um, you know, who exactly is is going to be out? Who's going to be in for Ohio State? And talking with people up there, that's probably the biggest mystery of all for that team heading heading down to South Florida. Yeah, Ohio State's been good about releasing uh, names of unavailables all season long. They've done it on a on a pretty much on a weekly basis, so it's not going to be any secret, especially if it's a starter. Yeah, and it sounds like there's there's rumblings that maybe a couple of defensive linemen are in question. And if it's a couple that I saw rewatching Clemson and Ohio State, that's not a good thing. Uh, Because I think if these guys are whole up front defensively, especially with Landon Dickerson out, uh, you know, that that obviously goes a long way to the benefit of the Buckeyes. But uh, we, we, we should know more, as you said, Ohio state has almost handled it like an NFL team. Haven't they? I mean, yeah. not getting specific about COVID and exact, uh, issues like that. But it, as you said, letting you know who's in, who's out. Yep. Yeah. They, they've been putting out an unavailable list, uh, game day, I believe, or the day before pretty much, uh-huh. uh, uh, all season long. So 
Yeah, that's something to watch, no question about it. The Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. The Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors for you really quickly. And after that, uh, we're going to get into a few other topics, including Devontae Smith taking that Heisman Trophy, Alabama basketball, and more. But first, North River Dental Associates, you want to talk about the place to go to get your teeth cleaned or get any dental work done whatsoever. Well, I'll tell you what, Travis, uh, new record for you. I had my routine cleaning a couple days ago. I think the previous record was was 39 minutes. Uh, I was in and out of there in, 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 in 28, 28 minutes in and out wow. on a routine cleaning. Did not even sit in the chair, in, in the waiting room chair for a second. I walked in. Uh, sign my name. I double check that paperwork, which of course they keep on file. You don't have to keep filling that out. You just check mark it when you get in there. Uh, they sent me right back before I even uh, went to the waiting room. And uh, next thing you know, I was out of there. I was talking to by 35 minutes, me and me and Dr. Jack were just chewing the fat and talking football. Uh, and I got out of there, got out of there clean, no, no cavities, et cetera. Uh, so it's a great experience over there at North River Dental. Any kind of dentistry you might need, cosmetic dentistry, endodontics, dentures, dental implants, oral surgery, they do it all. Phone number 752-3506 or make an appointment at NorthRiverDentist.com. It's North River Dental Associates. I'm going to tell you about Southern Ale House, also out there in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North to be exact, and had lunch at Southern Ale House the other day, and typically for lunch, I've become more salad-oriented, and I'd like to say that's as much about being health-conscious, but I love the salads. I mean, that chopped wedge is out of this world. You get it with some grilled chicken on top. You can get it with the blue cheese crumbles, with the blue cheese dressing. If blue cheese isn't your thing, trust me, you can ask for no blue cheese. You can get the other house-made dressings. I prefer the balsamic vinaigrette myself, but you're not going to go wrong. You've got chopped, smoked bacon for your bacon bits. Oof. You've got biscuit croutons, those biscuit plates they do there at Southern Ale House, by the way, outstanding as well. They also will run that uh, Brunswick stew on occasion for that special on certain days. And right now, this time of year, nothing better than a homemade bowl, homemade bowl of Brunswick stew. They can handle all that for you at Southern Ale House. I mentioned it. The biscuit plates are great. Great sides. House-made sides at hash brown casserole is to die for. Great burgers, shrimp and grits. They've got great desserts. They've got that Tammy's cheesecake, which is the best cheesecake I've ever had in my life. They've got all of it for you there. Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard. North. Also want to tell you about Heat Pizza Bar downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. I'm going to tell you, if you're looking for a place in the Tuscaloosa area to watch the college football playoff national championship game, and really, you could start on Saturday at about noon, go through Saturday, go through Sunday with the NFL playoff games this weekend, and then right into, right into the college football playoff national championship game on Monday night, that's the place to be for all of that. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Also going to have Alabama-Auburn men's basketball, 11 a.m. on Saturday. All those great big screens. And as great as all that is, the pizza's even better. Great, great pizzas, daily specials, also specials on bar offerings as well. Craft cocktails, craft beers, 
All of that awaits you right now at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Talk Tide Podcast, podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. The Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. Chase Goodred and Travis Ryer uh, taking you through a few more minutes. Got to kick this segment off, Travis, with Devontae Smith winning the Heisman Trophy a couple of nights ago, the third winner uh, of that award for an Alabama player, of course, following Mark Ingram in 09 and Derrick Henry in 15. And uh, first wide receiver to win this award since Desmond Howard in 1991. That's, uh, by, by my lousy math, Travis, that's almost 30 years. No doubt about it. And I thought it went to the letter of the the, the award, you know, and, and the descriptive of the award, the most outstanding player in college football. And I think most of us would agree that was Devontae Smith this year. There were some guys who had great seasons. Mac Jones, primarily among them. Trevor Lawrence, when he was available, was really, really good. Uh, Justin Fields, you could say the same about. Kyle Trask, but the most outstanding player in college football in 2020 was, and still has a game left to go, Devontae Smith. What did you think of it? thought he deserved it. I, th- I thought, I agree with you. I thought he was the best player in the game this year. Uh, humble guy, deserving guy. Glad to see him get that honor. What I'd like to dissect if I can, I'm not sure it's even really possible, but I, I scratch my head a little bit that somehow or another – uh, the quarterback, I should, I guess I should say quarterback slash running back monopoly on this award that we've seen for three decades, roughly, was broken. Why was it broken by Smith? We've had other years where somebody other than the winner of the Heisman and other than a quarterback has been the best player in the country, and no one, none of them have won the award. Uh, right. I, I, I was getting to the point, Travis, where I wasn't sure a wide receiver could ever do it again. Devontae Smith does it. And, and I'm just I'm just I, I wish I could climb inside enough Heisman heads to know why. I mean, look at Jamar Chase last year, for instance. Jamar Chase mm-hmm. put up almost identical production numbers as Devontae Smith. They both had 20 touchdowns. Uh, Smith, by the time he gets done with Ohio State, is probably going to be right around where Jamar Chase was last year in terms of yards. Jamar Chase wasn't even a top 10 guy for the Heisman voting yeah. last year. So it's just it, it's just hard to wrap your head around, but I do think he was the best player and absolutely should have gone home with the trophy. Do you think that Devontae becoming more of a factor in the return game? You know, because Waddle goes out, that opens another avenue for him to produce, similar to Desmond Howard back in 91. I still think it's going to be difficult as just a wide receiver to get home. You're going to have to have more. You're going to have to have some return ability, which you look at Devontae Smith, the guy's averaging over 24 yards per punt return. He doesn't have a ton of them, but of course he had the big one against Arkansas for the long touchdown. Uh, He had other things involved, too. He has sort of a reputation as a physical player, you know, not just a vertical threat, not just a explosive plays guy. You can go back to some catches he's made where you're wondering how this guy got up. So the physicality that he brings to the position, yeah, I I think it's going to be tough. You're right, Jamar Chase last year, the numbers were were insane. at the end of the day, he, he played with a quarterback, obviously, who had a historic season in Joe Burrow. Um, 
But maybe if Chase was a return guy, a kick returner, a punt returner, had some other things involved that would have helped him. But I don't see this. I know a lot of people think this is going to totally shift the way the award goes in the near future, the foreseeable future. I, I'm not there yet, Chase. I think I think we're probably going to get right back into the quarterback thing as early as next year. Yeah, good points all. I, I think you touch on a good point with the with Devontae Smith getting more involved in the return game when Waddle went out. I think when Waddle went out, period, I think the respect for Devontae Smith went up a little bit because uh, of the reliance Alabama had on him at that point. Not that there weren't plenty of other weapons, but you take Waddle out, that changes any offense. And so I, I think in terms of perceived value to his team, Devontae Smith's perception went up when Waddle went out. Sure. So, so that's one factor. I also wonder, too, Travis, if the notion, whether you buy into it or not, that Mac Jones is a good quarterback, but he's playing with the Kansas City Chiefs, I, I think that notion, fair or unfair, might have crept into some Heisman heads and cost him some votes that went to Smith. No, I think that's very much possible. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's much doubt about that because – I was I was a little bit surprised to see Mac finish third. You know, I thought it was going to be a one-two situation, but I guess Lawrence nipped Mac by a little bit there for that second spot. But I, I'm also left to wonder what if with with Jalen, with Waddle, because you know this was a guy at the time of his injury, uh, he was averaging 22 yards per catch, and he had put together four straight 100-yard games. You know, Devontae in 12 games had eight. Jalen had done it in each of his first four. Now, his fifth game, he's hurt on the opening kickoff. So he didn't have any receiving yards against Tennessee. He only played one play. But who knows? Maybe this would have been Jalen Waddell we're talking about instead of Devontae Smith because even with those two guys sharing sort of touches, you know, Waddell was doing it at such a dynamic and explosive rate that I'm left to, again, wonder if maybe Waddell might not have won this thing had he stayed healthy. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it certainly could have happened. Uh, speaking of awards, Travis, the Home Depot College Football Awards going on. Uh, a bunch of Alabama players in line for those. It, it's like it's going to be Alabama Central on that Zoom, I guess. It's going to be one on just about all of them. I think. You know, I talked about it on my radio show Thursday. There have been Alabama football infomercials during the Nick Saban era, especially these last twelve years or so, thirteen years or so. But this might be unlike any we've seen because you're talking about 11 awards that are highlighted on the college football awards show. Alabama has finalists for nine of them. So the entire 90-minute program is going to be bammed up. I mean, even, you know, 2020 is crazy when Alabama has a Lou Groza Award finalist, which it does, and Will Reichert. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's just more of the same. Uh, it, it's you, you can't put a price tag on it. If you're Nick Saban in terms of recruiting and the ability to just keep building upon this uh, amazing run that we've seen since 2008, really. I, I smell uh, overtime for the Alabama creative graphics guy that puts out oh, the, gosh. the Twitter graphics. Coming on. Hopefully he's already, hopefully he's already got a lot of them in his drafts because if he's trying to, or she is trying to, uh, spit them out as as the awards come about. Uh, they're they're going to be a little bit uh, in the weeds, I'm afraid. Yeah. 
All right, no doubt about it. Moving on, a uh, couple other topics for you. Sark, I don't think we touched on Sark leaving Travis. We'll hit on that, of course, really quickly. He's going to coach through the national championship game, but the Crimson Tide offensive coordinator off to be the next coach at the University of Texas. Uh, your thoughts on that departure and, and what might be on the horizon for Nick Saban's decision? Yeah, a little bit of a surprise there, although Texas, man, you talk about stealthily type behavior when it comes to replacing coaches. They've gotten it down the last couple of times. It's just the whole making the right hire thing that's been difficult for the Longhorns. Perhaps this will prove to be the right hire. Uh, Already seen some staff movement potentially with Kyle Flood perhaps joining Steve Sarkeesian in Austin. Alabama's offensive line coach could be headed out to the Big 12. With Sark, they kind of came in together from the Atlanta Falcons, having worked there together uh, this last go around. So we'll see how this impacts perhaps the sitting Alabama staff with Sark moving on. But, you know, it's tough with Nick because a lot of times you connect dots and you feel like he's going to zig and then he'll zag. And I just think from a time standpoint, well, obviously you're going to get through Monday night in Ohio State. And there have been reports, there's been talk of Bill O'Brien, the former Texans and Penn State head coach, Bill Belichick guy in his own right, having worked previously for the Patriots, being in that mix. Uh, Could be a guy from the NFL coming down, Chase. We've seen that before. Sark came down from the Falcons. Uh, Could be a a guy on the rise. We saw that with Jim McElwain going back to 2008, right? So a lot of different ways this thing could go. And no doubt, uh, it's a big decision for Nick Saban, no question about it. I'm sure uh, a lot of eyes will be on that hire. would imagine it'll happen pretty quick. He's not going to waste any time. He never does. Uh, you expect to happen. Yeah. Uh, and the quarterback, quickly. the quarterback aspect of it is something we never talk about enough, but probably the most important aspect of what Alabama does moving on from Sark will have to do with the continued development of that position. You know, I mean, it's going to be the Alabama offense, as Nick Saban has told us time and time again, regardless of who's in that spot. Nick's going to have his favorites in terms of plays and what he wants the offense to be about. Uh, So quarterback development, that's where uh, uh, we probably should focus more than we do. Alabama basketball, we'll hit on that really quickly before we get out of here. Travis, the Crimson Tide 3-0 in SEC play now. They knock off Florida in a home game 86-71, to a game that Alabama pretty much controlled throughout. Uh, impressive win. Uh, I got a chance to catch it. They had five players in double figures. Herb Jones led the way with 16. A lot of those 16 on drives to the basket. Uh, Keon Ellis, 16, uh, kind of out of nowhere. James Rojas with 15. So big night for some of these guys. Did it without Javon Quinterly. Yeah, Javon Quinterly, kind of a late scratch in the lead up to the game. And you figure that's going to impact Alabama's bench scoring because that's been an area, especially with Quinterly coming off the bench and Petty before he rejoined the starting lineup, making big impacts there. But you said it, Keon Ellis, James Rojas, uh, they give you double digits off the bench. You get a, a decent performance from Alex Reese in that regard. And you're able to snap that eight-game home losing streak to the Florida Gators. And amazing as this sounds, uh, considering where this team was just a couple weeks ago, you're a first-place team in the Southeastern Conference now as Alabama looks ahead to Auburn on Saturday. 
Yep. I like, even though the, the minutes for him have been limited, I like what I see from the Bruner kid more and more, Travis, especially lately. I, th- I thought he played exceptionally well in the minutes that he got against Florida. Um, he's, he's one of those big guys that does, there's no panic in him, whether he has the ball or not. He seems just to be poised, uh, whether he's going to take a shot, whether he's going to pass, put it on the floor, uh, you name it. He's got a lot of length. I think he can help Alabama mm-hmm. a lot in the rebounding department. Uh, what do you think of this guy? Yeah, I mean, he's a grad transfer, and he's from Yale, so you expect some maturation there. And you're right. I think Florida, in a matchup with front court players like the Gators roll out there, Bruner is going to be absolutely fine. You get a little bit more girth and width on some of these guys. That's where it may be a tougher matchup for him. But he's been more along the lines of what I think Nate Oates anticipated they were getting in Jordan Bruner going into the season. And I think you can say the same for pretty much everybody on this roster right now. It seems more and more as if the roles have been defined. Guys are accepting their roles and playing them to the best of their ability in the body language of this team. And I understand winning helps, but even when you're winning, if guys aren't necessarily thrilled in their roles, it's hard to hide that in the term, in terms of energy and things like that. But right now you're seeing a team from top to bottom, having a lot of fun and and seem to be embracing exactly what each and every one of them are being asked to do. That is going to wrap things up for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us uh, next week, probably Monday, excuse me, probably Tuesday or so, maybe Wednesday at the latest. We will bring you uh, a fine wrap up on the national championship game and plenty more. Uh, for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. We'll talk to you next week right here on Talking Tide.